You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. Thanks so much. Well, good morning, East Point Church. What a joy to be with you. I think this podium is a little taller than what I'm used to. Did you customize this? I don't know. Uh, The last time that I had the joy of being with you was almost two years ago. Mary Kay and I came for the launch of East Point Church. I want you to know that your church family in Annapolis at Bay Area Community Church prays regularly for you. And what a joy, absolute joy for me and Mary Kay to be here with you today and to experience what God's Spirit is doing in your midst. I was just chatting with someone and I said, you know, not every church can make that same claim that God is on the move. That is happening here. Okay, enough of that. I get the privilege of preaching to you. Proverbs chapter 3 came up, so Sam said, you can preach whatever you want, but we're in Proverbs chapter 3. How can anybody pass on Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6? It's very, very difficult to pass on that. I've never actually preached on it, so I said, I'm going to take that one. Why? Because one of the things that people struggle with the most is trying to discern the will of God for your life. As a pastor for some 29 years, one of the questions that I get asked more than anything else perhaps is, Pastor, can you help me get God's mind on should I take the job in Minneapolis or stay in Easton? Should I retire to Florida or work two more years? Should I homeschool my kids or send them to public school or private school? All of us, all of us have the responsibility of trying to discern and discover, God, what is your will for my life? Now, the truth is, if you are like me, you really just want God to write it on the wall. I mean, just write it on the wall. I mean, back in Daniel chapter 5, the finger of God breaks in and writes it on the wall. What's going to happen? God, if you would just write it on the wall, I will gladly do it. Well, that is not the way God works. Why? Because God desires faith from us. He wants us to trust him. But just this week, actually, for the last several days, I have been in your beloved Easton, away on a farm where I've had four or five days just by myself, I decided I'm going to go for a walk in downtown East End, and then I made my way to John Ford Park. John Ford Park. And there I come. I come to a fork in the path, and I have to decide, am I going to go left or am I going to go right? right? This is very much the way discovering God's will for our life is. We are on a path, the path of life. And we have to make decisions regarding, Lord, how do you want me to use my time? What kind of vocation do you have for me? How do you want me to spend my money? There's all kinds of family decisions that need to be made. Lord, what kind of service ministry do you want me to be involved in? All of these are very important questions. But there is something that transcends all of this. God's ultimate purpose for our life is not how am I to spend my money? 
What job am I to take? Those are important. God's ultimate destiny for our lives as believers is that you and I would become like Jesus. That is his highest priority. That should be our highest priority, becoming like Jesus. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the likeness of his son. You and I have an agenda from God, and that is that we would become like Jesus. Well, this morning I want to talk about how to navigate, how to walk the path of life that actually honors God. Now, when the Bible talks about paths, when it talks about ways, it is not so much referring to individual decisions that you have to make. No. When the Bible talks about paths and ways... It is talking about moral goodness and uprightness. It is talking about two ways, two paths that you and I can walk. It can be either the way of righteousness or the way of the wicked. There is a path that leads to life and there is a path that leads to death. There is a way... That leads to blessing, and there is a way that leads to destruction. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 26 says this. It says, ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Are you here this morning pondering the path of your feet? Psalm chapter 25 says this, make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. When the Bible refers to ways and to paths, it is not referring to specific decisions. Should I date this person? Should I marry this person? Should I take the job in Florida? No. When it talks about paths, it is talking about moral goodness and uprightness. The path that God wants us to walk in is the path of righteousness as opposed to the way of the wicked. For example, Proverbs chapter 2. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep the paths of the righteous. I have taught you the way of wisdom. Here it is. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. God is more concerned that you and I walk in moral goodness and and uprightness than he is about a specific decision. Is he concerned about that decision? Yes, he is. Does he have a will regarding that decision? Yes, he does. But this is the foundation. Now, in contrast to the way of righteousness, the way of the wicked goes like this. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of the evil. Proverbs 4. The wicked forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. Men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. 
the path that God has for you is the path of uprightness. It is the path of moral goodness. It is a path that says, I am not going to compromise. I am going to walk by God's grace in his goodness and in his righteousness. On the path of life, God's main concern is that you would become like Jesus. For that to happen, it is always the path of uprightness. Now, question for you. When I come to a fork in the path, how do I know what to do? When I come to a specific fork and I have to make a decision, the answer is, do the upright thing. Do the thing that is morally good. But Greg, I've got a decision to make. Am I to date this person or not? Am I to take the job in Atlanta or not? My answer is, is the person you're considering dating, is that person morally good, upright? Is that person going to lead you in the way of righteousness? If this person is not a believer, is not following Jesus, then I would say, don't even consider it. If the job is going to tempt you to compromise your convictions, then you should, you should probably pass on the job. But Greg, the person that I want to date, they are a follower of Jesus. And this company that I'm considering, they seem to have high ethical standards. Well, what we need is wisdom. We need God's wisdom. Well, how do we get that wisdom? Well, Sam told you two weeks ago when he asked the question, what is your posture towards wisdom? Is it hands open or is it hands up? Remember him saying that? Is our posture one of looking to receive supernatural wisdom or am I going to do it my way? Well, the book of Proverbs is all about acquiring wisdom. Wisdom shouts in the street, says Proverbs chapter 2. And the foundation of godly wisdom is moral goodness and uprightness in making our decisions. So I, I'm belaboring this because what you want to know is what is the answer for this specific decision that I need to make? And what God is much more concerned about is not that individual decision, though that it's important. He is concerned that you walk in the way of moral goodness and uprightness because his agenda is that we become like Jesus and that trumps everything else. So there is a way of uprightness and moral goodness. There is a way of compromise. J.I. Packer, in one of the ten best books that I have ever read, called Knowing God, he says this in his chapter about wisdom. In Scripture, wisdom is moral. Wisdom is moral as well as an intellectual quality. More than mere intelligence and knowledge, wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best 
and the highest good. There is a moral component. It is just not facts. It is just not intelligence. It is just not knowledge. It always involves a moral component. So I have a dear friend. Her name is Robin. And she never smoked a cigarette in her entire life. Two years ago, she came down with lung cancer. For the last two years, she has been battling lung cancer. And they have tried all types of radiation and chemo and done all kinds of, they call them cocktails, where they're just kind of trying, trying to guess what's, what might work or what might not work. And now she's at a point of decision. Do I try one more round of chemo? Or do I just say, Lord, no? She's at a point of decision. How does Robin know what to do? The answer is found in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Underscore here, he will make straight your paths. What does it mean to make straight? We all know that the life that we live has windy curves in it, right? To make straight means God's going to level it. It means God's going to remove the boulders. It means whatever the roadblocks are, he's going to clear them for us. God will make straight our paths. Who will? Not you, not me, not someone else. He, God, takes full responsibility to make our paths straight. Now, you might be here this morning and you might say, hey, I've got all kinds of obstacles in my life right now. I've got all kinds of boulders. I mean, the path of my finances, it is just not straight. My marriage is anything but a level path right now. I face one obstacle after another in regards to my job. God says, I will make your path straight. This is a promise to claim. But, big but here, but it is not unconditional. This promise is a conditional promise. There are three things that we need to do if we want to claim this promise. Two of them are positive. One of them is negative. So let's get rid of the negative first. Let's talk about the negative one first. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Ouch. This is a big problem. We rely on our own understanding, our own human reasoning when we come to a fork in the path. How do I know that to be true? Whatever you go to first to try to make a decision, to try to discern which way to go right or left, whatever you go to first, that's what you're leaning on. That's what you're relying on. If my first response is to try to figure it out, 
or to ask an expert or to Google it or whatever it might be. That is what I'm leaning on. This verse says not to lean, not to put my weight in my own understanding. Can we just be honest with each other? Our understanding is just not that good. Not in comparison to the omniscient God of the universe. Isaiah 55 puts it like this. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Anytime you lean on your own understanding, you're going off the path. When the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary and said to Mary, Mary, you're going to give birth to a child who will be called the Son of the Most High. And she says, how can this be? For I'm a virgin. And he says, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And then she says, be it done to me according to your word. It makes no sense. When Peter is out fishing all night and Jesus comes along the shore and says, hey, Peter, cast your net on the other side. Well, well Jesus, don't you understand that I'm in the fishing business and I've been fishing the Sea of Galilee for a very long time and I know the fish that they just don't come up to the surface in the morning time. No, no, cast your net on the other side. And he does. Pulls in so many fish, the nets start to break, right? Abraham, God appears to Abram and says, I want you to leave the Ur of the Chaldees and go to a land that I will show you. And Abram gets up and leaves not knowing where he's going. Each of these are illustrations of not leaning on our own understanding. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we shall go to such and such a city and engage in business there and make a profit. For you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. For you are but a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall also live and do this or that. James chapter 4. Do not lean on your own understanding. What is he saying here? Here's what he's saying. Trust God first. Trust God first. You have a decision to make? Go to God first. Well, Greg, what does it mean to trust? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Let me ask you, last night did you lay down on a nice soft bed? Did you just put your full weight, lie your whole body down on that bed? Mary Kay and I spent the night at the Tidewater Inn because we didn't want to fight the traffic. And I laid myself on that nice soft bed and got a great night's sleep, right? To trust is to put your full weight in, to fully rely in. He says, trust in the Lord. Trust 
is only as good as its object. Trust must have a reliable object. I can have all the faith in the world that I can fly, and I can drive up on top of the Bay Bridge and jump off and say, watch me fly! I should have put my trust in the law of gravity, right? Trust has to have a reliable object. The object of our trust is God and His Word. Trust is the confident conviction that God is who He says He is, and God will do what He has promised. Let me say that again. Faith is the confident conviction that God is who He said He is, and God will do what He has promised. Trust in the Lord with all your hearts. To trust is to rest in God and His promises. That's what trust is. To trust is to rest in God and His promises. Now, the thing about trust is trust involves commitment. Let me say that again. You see, if you're not willing to commit, you just have intellectual assent. You don't have faith. Trust in the Lord. Commit your, Psalm 37, 5, commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He will do it. To trust is to fully commit. Let me explain what commit is like. I'm looking at you now, and you seem quite comfortable in your chair. I don't see anybody stressing out. I don't see anybody trying to hold part of their body weight up, right? Everybody seems fully trusting. Actually, you have committed your fanny and all of your weight to your chair. That's what trust is. I teach every summer uh, in Pennsylvania at an officer Christian fellowship camp, and they have all these high adventure kind of activities. One of them is uh, repelling, right? So you're repelling down a cliff, down the side of a mountain, right? And so you're all geared up, you have everything on, you're all harnessed in, and you're holding on to your rope, and you're thinking, I'm hoping that person's going to hold me, and I'm leaning back and leaning back, and then finally you, you've got to commit, right? If you don't commit fully, you're not trusting. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, not with half heart, not with a partial heart, but it is full. What is the heart? The heart is the seat of our emotions. It's the seat of our will. It's the seat of our intellect. And so I am all in to trust means that I am trusting in the object of my faith, which is God and His Word, and I am fully committing with all of my heart. Last week, Mary Kay and I, a week and a half ago, we flew back from Monterey, California, where our daughter, who's married to a Marine, Naval Academy grad, he's out there in Monterey going to grad school. We went out to visit our three grandkids children out there. We're not so much interested in their parents as much as we are the grandkids. Can I get a witness grandparents out there? Can I? So we're flying back on American Airlines. I want you to know that I fully trusted the soundness of that plane. I fully trusted 
the giftedness of the pilot to get me from Monterey to BWI. That's what trust is. So trust then fully commits. Trust the Lord completely. That's what he's saying here. Trust the Lord completely. Trust the Lord first. Trust the Lord completely. And then one other thing, and that is this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Let's talk about that. What does this idea of acknowledgement mean? Well, we tend to think the word acknowledge means just to recognize. In all my ways, just recognize God. That's actually not what it means. The root of it is to know, to know intimately. Let me illustrate. So I'm an early riser. I get up and have my my time with the Lord and my cup of coffee. And then shortly thereafter, Mary Kay will come downstairs. And when she comes down, she wants to be acknowledged. Now, if I just say, good morning, dear, and then go about my business, well, I've acknowledged her. No, 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 not biblically. Biblical acknowledgement means this. To acknowledge means to know intimately that person, what their desires and will is, and then to arrange my life to put that person first. That's what acknowledgement means. So to acknowledge her because I know her intimately, I know what her will is, and to put her will first means I got to get up and pour her a cup of coffee, and I need to come back and sit down with her. And we need to have a few minutes of conversation and a prayer and maybe read Oswald Chambers or something like that. That's what acknowledging means. To acknowledge the Lord in all our ways means to put him first. To acknowledge the Lord means to place Jesus Christ as first in your decision. How broad is this acknowledgement to be? Listen now. How broad? In all your ways. God wants us to acknowledge Him with every decision that we make. Well, how do we learn to acknowledge the Lord? How, do I, how did I learn to acknowledge Mary Kay? Well, you cultivate a relationship. And we cultivate a relationship with the Lord by spending time with Him in His Word, in prayer, by being in community with others. We learn the ways of the Lord so that we can acknowledge Him. Out of a deep relationship with the Lord, we put Him first in our life by orchestrating our life around His will. What He's saying here is to trust the Lord intimately. To trust the Lord intimately. We trust Him first. We trust Him completely. We trust Him intimately. Now back in 2010, there were a lot of boulders in my path. The ground wasn't very level. I felt a lot of roadblocks around. During that time, I got a phone call from a Christian headhunter that was looking for a pastor to pastor a very prominent church. And um, well, actually, that's how we found Sam, right? So, <laughs> so um, this person had called me before, and I'd always told her, no, I'm not interested, no thank you. 
But for some reason, Mary Kay and I felt like maybe we should say yes to just looking into this opportunity. And so she said, the church is in Milwaukee. Milwaukee? Can anything good come from Milwaukee? Say, whoa, wait, wait, Greg. This is Elmbrook Church. Now, Elmbrook Church is a very large, mission-minded church, pastored, was pastored by a very prominent pastor named Stuart Briscoe. And because of their emphasis on missions, we thought, well, we should check this out, right? So we began a process, and there were many, many candidates. It got narrowed down to 12. I was still in the hunt. This is multiple months have gone by. Then the elder chair made a decision. We got to narrow the field, he says. And so anyone who's not pastoring a church of more than 2,000, we're just going to cut them. Well, Bay Area Community Church was about 17, 1800 at that time. So I got the boot. So Nancy calls me up and she says, Greg, I'm so sorry to tell you this, but uh, you're out. I said, no problem, Nancy. I wouldn't, I'm Milwaukee. I wasn't really, didn't have my heart set on it. Okay, so a week and a half later now, Mary Kay and I are in Orlando, Florida for a conference on generosity. And the conference ends, it's April 24th, 2010, and it's my birthday. So we decide that we're going to take advantage of the conference rates and stay over an extra night to celebrate my birthday. And so after the conference ends, we meander towards the back. They have three pools, three big old pools. And there's a lazy river going around each of these, around these pools, right? And this is a posh place, right? And so I go to the first one with Mary Kay, and there are no chairs available under umbrellas none they're all everybody's sitting in all the chairs so we go to the middle one same thing no available chairs under umbrellas we go to the third one I look around and go oh my goodness I I know that my wife has delicate skin and so she is not going to be out here with me for more than 10 minutes if I don't get this woman under an umbrella I spot one empty chair next to a guy under an umbrella. So I say, it's now or never. I'm going for it. I go up to this guy and say, I know this is an odd request, sir, but would you mind if my wife sat next to you and I just pull up a chair here? And so he says, no problem. Go ahead. Well, this guy happens to be reading a book by Dallas Willard. Now, Dallas Willard is a renowned Christian author. So I put this, use my astute thinking here and say, this guy must have been at the conference. And so... We start talking, and I say, where are you from? His response, Milwaukee. (laughs) Can anything good come from Milwaukee? Really, what church do you go to? Elmbrook Church. You are kidding me. Elmbrook Church? Are are you on staff? Are you in leadership? Oh, Oh, I'm one of the elders. You're an elder at Elmbrook Church. Well, how's the search going? He goes, well, you know, it's kind of tough. I I say, well, do I have a story to tell you? So I tell him about our our story. And we talked for about an hour. After about 30 minutes, though, he pauses and says, you know, Greg, the elder that made that decision, he's in the hotel right now. Really? We talked for another half hour. Greg, the elder chair and I, we would like to take you and your wife to dinner tonight to carry on our conversation. 
immediately. I knew what the Lord wanted me to say. Today, sir, is my birthday. And my wife and I have already made plans. So I'm going to pass. But thank you. And as I was walking away from those three pools back to the hotel, it was like the Lord broke in and said, Greg, I've got you. All you have to do is trust me. I can arrange all the chairs around the pools. I can put people in all the different chairs that I want. I can have one chair open so that you have just the right conversation with the right person at the right time. You do not need to look. Your job, Greg, is to trust in me with all your heart. I have never forgot that. You see, God has a plan for our life. It's a marvelous plan. That plan involves you and me becoming like Jesus. We become like Jesus when we walk the path of moral goodness and uprightness. Along the way, there are going to be decisions that have to be made. Can I su submit to you that those are actually secondary decisions? Along the way, you're going to have to decide, Lord, how do you want me to use my money? What are my relationships to be like? How do you want me to use my time? What career do you want me to have? And he promises that if we trust in the Lord, he will make our ways straight. He will make our paths straight. What he's asking us to do is to trust him first, to go first to the Lord, to trust him completely, all in, commit fully all of our heart, and to trust him intimately out of a personal, intimate relationship with him. There is somebody, and only one person, that ever did this perfectly. His name is Jesus. Jesus Christ always trusted in his heavenly Father. He always went to the Father first. He always trusted the Father fully. Not my will, but your will be done. He always trusted the Father out of an intimate relationship with his heavenly Father. And where did that take him? That took him to the cross. And because he went to the cross for you and me, we can fully trust in the Lord with all our heart. We can be people who do not lean on our own understanding because it's not that good. We can be people who acknowledge him in all of our ways. And then you and I can claim he will make your paths straight. You might be here this morning and you have never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. Step one is for you to trust him as your Savior. He loves you. He died for you. He rose again victorious. He wants to invade your life. I don't care what your past looks like. He wants to come in and forgive you, make you a brand new creation. 
You might be here today and you have, have wandered off the path. You're a believer, but you have been relying on your own human reasoning and it has made a train wreck of your life. Jesus is saying, repent and trust me today. You might be here today and to the best of your ability, you are trying to walk with the Lord and discern his will for you. I have good news for you. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 14, if you could bring this slide up here, verse 18. Let's read this together for encouragement, if you can see this. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. That's the path that he has for you. It's like the light of dawn that breaks in, and every day it burns brighter and brighter until the day that Jesus Christ comes back and takes you home. Father, I thank you that you are a personal God, that you have a will for us, and that will is that we would become like Jesus. I pray for everyone here that this day we would take another step towards Christ-likeness, that we would commit ourselves to walking in moral goodness and uprightness, that we would be people that can say, Lord, I trust you. I trust you first. I trust you completely. I trust you intimately. And I claim this promise. You, in faith, will make my paths straight. And all God's people said, Amen. We want to thank you again for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. And if you were challenged, encouraged, or impacted in any way by this week's sermon, we would love to hear about it. It's your stories that encourage us and what we do, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So you can go ahead and share with us at podcast at epeaston.com. Also, make sure that you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Have a great week.